your uh, little offering plates. If you want to pass those back down, then I will have done my duty to make sure that we've covered everything. Um, as you may know, if you've been coming over the last several weeks, we as a church are in the middle of a, uh, a small group campaign. We've just started this 40 days of love, peace, and we're meeting in groups. We've got a, a great majority of you guys that are meeting in groups in people's homes during the week. And uh, we're also reading this book called Relationship Principles of Jesus together uh, devotionally. So if you started reading that last week, you should be on day seven. Uh, and uh, hopefully you got something out of um of the book this week. Um, it's got some dynamic principles in it. We're reading it as a family. Um, it may be a little bit over the head of our boys at times, but if they can get something out of it, this is, this is great. It's a very simple book. Um, but it's great about learning how to love in new ways and kind of unpacking. Uh, one of the members of my group this week, you know, made a just a, a very telling statement. I don't know if I can quite capture the essence of what they're saying. But in, in reality, you know, look, we've been coming to church most of our lives. And Jesus says that that love is the most important thing. It is the primary thing in our lives. Why have we not done this study before now? You know, why are we not diving into what is love and how do we do this thing? You know, why do we not just spend ourselves on trying to, if this is the primary thing, why do we, why do, why is it taking until now that we really start unpacking and trying to apply? How do I do this? Because if, if you've, if you're breathing, you've recognized that relationships are very rewarding and relationships are, can be very painful. And so, uh. How do we embrace this very thing that God has in store for us? He says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So how do we experience this fullness of life that he comes to bring in relationships? We're going to dive into a few different things this morning. First is kind of a few different perspectives that I want to unpack as we're looking at relationships. And the reality is that we all have this need for approval. We all have this need for approval. When you got dressed this morning, you were thinking somewhere in your subconscious, the back of your head, you were probably thinking, you know, I want to put this together with that. And I think this would look good because you want to look good, right? You want to look good because you want people to accept you for how for who you are and how you look, right? It runs through kind of everything we're about that we want people to accept us. And that is a driving force in our life. And because we want people to accept us, we put effort into what we think people around us will want to accept. And it's a big thing. It probably has affected, it's probably affected the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the, the occupation that you're a part of, or whatever the case may be. And, and everything that we do in life, we all want to be accepted for who we are. We also want to be loved for who we're not yet. Right? So we want to be accepted for who we are and understanding that acceptance recognizes that, you know, we we live with a bit of a myth that if we can, you know, have all the right things and become the perfect person and wear the right shoes and have the right clothes and live in the right house and have this perfect life, then we will be fully accepted and loved by everybody. Right. But the reality is, if you were perfect, you're not going to be fully accepted by everybody. Jesus is the perfect example of that, right? Perfect man wasn't accepted. So that is a false reality, but we still live with this driving force behind us. And the reason that we have this driving force behind us is because one of the greatest wounds we experience in life is rejection. 
We've all been rejected. And that rejection is a painful thing. We don't like pain. If I were to uh, I use this illustration with somebody earlier this week, if, if I asked you to hold your hand out and I had a ruler and I was going to beat you across the knuckles with that ruler, right? And I hit you across the knuckles with that ruler and then I said, okay, now hold your hand out again. And I take my ruler and I wear it back. What are you going to do? You're going to move your hand. And the reality is you're going to move your hand because you don't like pain. That's a good thing. The reality is that's a principle to our lives. We, as humans, we don't like pain. We especially don't like emotional pain, emotional wounds. You know, if you ever got picked on as a little kid, you know, my parents told me, you know, a thousand times, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt me. Right. And I repeated that to myself over and over again. You know what? That is a big fat lie. I don't know who came up with that. But it is, it is, that is the biggest, dumbest lie I think I've ever heard. The most painful things I experienced as a kid were the, were the words that people said to me. Anybody else in that boat? So I don't know where that came up with, but that's straight out of the pit of hell, if you ask me. So we all experience pain and we all have wounds. And what happens in our lives is we experience those wounds, then those wounds lead us to this greater, you know, ability to fear. Fear of being rejected. We have this, God gave us this, this gift, literally this gift, for us to think critically. I really do believe it's a gift. But oftentimes we misuse this gift, and instead of thinking critically the way that God would have us think critically, we think critically, and what thinking critically does, at least in the context we're going to discuss it this morning, is, is that you look at a situation and you see the problem, and you see what could be different for that problem not to be a problem, Right? And we use this critical thinking as we look at different people. And so we look at a person and we see something that we don't see to be quite right. And we think that we should or they should change this thing about who they are. And that's who they should become or that's how they should act or that's how they should dress or what that's what they should do in this situation. So we use this critical thinking, this gift that God's given us, and we use it in a oftentimes a a misplaced perspective and we start What leads to critical thinking as we're looking toward others is that we start then judging others. And as we're judging others, then we're grading others. So then based on how you grade on my scale of what I critically think of as right or wrong in your life, then leads to me loving you conditionally. Because if you're somebody that I like and you're somebody that I accept and you're somebody that likes the things that I like and you, you know, you don't. You know, pick your nose in public and you, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, whatever the thing is that would otherwise, you know, not make me want to be around you. I grade you based on those things. If you come out with a good grade, then I'll want to spend time with you and I'll accept you. Anybody else do this? Right. So we 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 turn this now into conditional love. And however well you grade is how much attention and time and affection that I'm interested in showing to you. Anybody else guilty of this? We're all guilty of this. And what that is, is this conditional love. And I got good news for you. Love is not conditional. That's a good thing for you and me. Because if love was conditional, God would not have loved us. That while we were still sinners, he would not have come and died for us. But the truth of the matter is that Scripture tells us, Romans 5, 8, yet while we were still sinners, 
Christ came and gave his life for us and loved us that much. Then, how should we love one another? So we have this critical thinking that leads to this kind of judging, you know, point-based system of how much attention and affection do I want to show or share with somebody. And what happens oftentimes when we've, when we've experienced this in our life, and we've all experienced it, then we start to form insecurities. Anybody got insecurities? If you're breathing, you have insecurities. I have insecurities. You have insecurities. We all have insecurities. We could probably write a song about it. We're not going to do that. Um, but we all have insecurities, and those insecurities are based on this fear of what people think of us and whether or not we're going to be accepted. And those insecurities are big in people's lives. They're where, whoever you are, you, those insecurities are big factors in your life. Some people have bigger insecurities than other people, or at least they're more visible. You know somebody who has big insecurities. It probably is not hard to imagine or think of who that person is. They have big issues. They're visibly, you know, timid and insecure and always wondering and worried about what people think of them or, you know, it's just this overwhelming thing that controls their life. Right. So what do we do with those insecurities? Is there a plan and a process that the Lord has for us in these insecurities that we own? These fears of being rejected, these fears of not being accepted. So what we're going to look at this morning is what I call this rule of acceptance within the kingdom. And this is a beautiful thing for you and me. Is that the reality is there is a big difference in acceptance and approval. And if the church would get this right, which means if you and I would get this right, it would change everything to the people that we're in relationship with. It would change the world we live in and how they see the church. But the reality is we've missed it in so many times and places that we've associated approval and acceptance to be the same thing. And so because the church does not approve of certain people's actions, we don't accept who they are. You with me? But Jesus and who he was in heaven said, I am not accepting you based on approval of who you are, on the actions that you do. I'm accepting you because I love you. And my love is not conditional on the approval of the actions that you do. If the church would join Jesus in loving the world the way he's loved the world, it would change the world we live in. And that's a big part of Jesus' plan in our lives as we're a church that's embracing and inviting the Lord to teach us how to love the way he loves. Is that every person in this room, the relationships that you have and the people that you know, their lives are in jeopardy from the enemy continuing to steal, kill and destroy parts of their life because now they know you And the Lord wants to empower you to love them and accept them for who they are, apart from approving of their actions or their deeds. You with me on that? Okay. So this rule of acceptance is this huge rule in the kingdom, this principle. Because the reality is, until we recognize and receive and know that the Lord has accepted us for who we are, We can't really love him. Okay? 
The same is true for another person. Unless a person believes that you've accepted them, they can't receive love from you. Giving you a moment to think about that. Unless a person believes that you've accepted who they are, there is a very shallow limit of the love that they can receive from who you are. This is true for you as well. Unless you feel accepted, unless you believe that somebody's accepted you, you can't feel like they're loving you. You with me? The reality is Jesus is inviting us and he wants to empower us to fully accept every breathing person that we know, regardless of what they've done and regardless of what their past is and regardless of what they're saying and regardless of what their actions are. He is inviting you and I to accept them. Now, one of the things that one little tricks for me, it's not a trick. It's one of the things that I'm often reminded by in a prayer that I pray when I'm when I run into somebody. And I'm no expert at this. Okay, let me just state that case in point as we're diving into this. I'm no expert. I'm just laying some principles on the table this morning. But as I run into somebody who I find to be very difficult to love, right, very difficult to accept, one of the things that as I'm recognizing the things, the pattern, the things that I don't approve of in their life that I do is I ask the Lord, Lord, help me see who you created them to be. And there was one specific time and entrance instance where the Lord just showed me the seven year old little girl, full grown woman. But I just saw this picture of this seven year old little girl that didn't look like the person that was standing before me. And God broke my heart. For who this seven, this little seven year old girl was. And he gave me this gift of compassion to love that little seven year old girl, even though that the person I was meeting with was 45 years old. The Lord wants to do the same thing for you. But are you willing to invite the Lord to help you see who he created and to love that person from inside and separate that acceptance from this approval that the enemy wants to use to distract you from loving them. If you are, then the Lord may very well use you to change this person's life with the love that he wants to give you for who they are and who he created them to be. So this rule, this, this, this rule of acceptance is a big thing. It's what you're being challenged to as you get into the next chapters and the last couple chapters in the book that we're reading is that, you know, can you fully accept people? Imagine what that would look like if you apply it in your life. You know, who is the person down the hall at, the, at your office who is the person you avoid? When you go to get coffee at the coffee station and they walk in, you kind of let yourself slip right out. Because you really don't want to hear for the 10th time this story about their dogs and going to the dog park over the weekend and how their dogs like other dogs. It's annoying. Right. And people can be annoying and you don't like being annoyed. I don't like being annoyed. So you just politely kind of excuse yourself from the from the situation. The reality is God has a huge plan and purpose for those people in our life that you may not have ever seen. And part of our plan this morning is to kind of imagine what that could look like. So if you will, if you'll turn with me to um, to Genesis chapter three, I'm going to read a few verses to you this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Most all of you are probably very familiar with the story. It's the story of the fall. So if you'll bear with me, follow along with me. 
I'm going to read these first 13 verses. Now, the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But he did say you must not eat of the fruit that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of your your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. From, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called and said to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Now, there's a telling principle that takes place in this story that you may or may not have ever recognized before. What did the man say? What did Adam say when the Lord asked him, did you eat of this tree? He said, don't look at me. Look, this woman that you gave me, gave me some of the fruit of the tree and asked me to eat it. Don't look at me. If you're going to look at anybody, look at this woman. And you might even need to look at yourself, big boy, because you're the one who gave her to me. Right. So then the Lord turns to the woman. He said, what did you do? And she said, don't look at me. Look at the serpent. It is the serpent's fault. The serpent deceived me and tricked me into eating this fruit. Friends, there is a powerful piece in understanding and being able to pause circumstances and situations in your life. And recognizing that we have that same nature within us. And when we're offended or when we're hurt, what do we do? We say, don't look at me. Look at you. And when you're in an argument, what do you do? You say, look at you. You have done this. And then you said this to me. And that caused me to react. But my reaction is your fault. Because when I reacted, it was reacting to what you did because you are this way and you have pushed me to do this deal. But this is not my fault. This is your fault. Anybody guilty of that? My wife is in the room, so I'm going to say, yes, I am guilty of that. And I have that same sin nature within me as well. You with me? Now turn with me to Psalm. Chapter 139. Psalm 139, David, King David, comes before the Lord and he says this. Mm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Do you hear David saying, don't look at me. David is saying just the opposite. He is coming before the Lord and he is saying, Lord, 
Look at me. Look at my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Take who I am, Lord, and lead me to the way of everlasting. Friends, did you know that love lasts forever? It's one of the few things that we participate in life that has eternal value. That's why it's a big part of where in God loving us, it's the very thing that he's calling us to. It's the very thing he's inviting us to. He's inviting us to live lives of love. It's the primary calling. It's the it's the main thing. Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. This is it. This is the one thing that all the 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 prophets and the commandments and everything hang on is to love because this is what you will do in eternity before the Lord. This thing will last for eternity. And so I'm giving you this life. This is my perspective. I'm giving you this life, the Lord would say, as an opportunity for your heart to begin practicing what you will do for eternity. And if you reject that, then you're stealing from yourselves the value that comes in the kingdom. But if you will embrace what I have in store for you in this life, and that is to learn how to love like I love, then you will have treasure stored up in heaven. Just take that perspective and read through the teachings that Jesus has to say. Do not worry about this life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't you know that the birds in the air and the sparrows, you know, that Solomon, all his glory was not clothed like I clothed them. Yet aren't you worth more than the sparrows? I will provide for you. Don't worry about the things of this world. Instead, give yourself to the plans that the Lord has. And the one thing that he's commanded of you is to love. With all that you are. And to make this your primary thing. In order to embrace love. We have to embrace. Inviting the Lord. To examine our hearts. To test us. And to know our anxious thoughts. To reveal to us. You know Proverbs 16 says that. All of man's ways seem innocent to the Lord. But the Lord weighs the motivations of the heart. We can fool ourselves folks. All our ways can seem innocent to us. But if we will come to the Lord and ask him, show me the things within my heart that hold back or don't reflect the love that you have or that have not yet received the full love that you have for me. Because in the way in which we're able to receive love from the Lord is the way in which we're able to love. And where we do not receive or where we have held back, we have a lesser capacity our hearts to be expanded into what he has in store for us. So he's inviting us. He's inviting us to come before him as David did. It's, this is one of those passages to me that, that stands out where the Lord said, this is a man after my own heart. It's not David's actions that approved, that were approved before the Lord. The man had an adulterous relationship. And yet the Lord looks at this man and says, you're a man after my own heart. David's heart was a heart that quickly turned and was not pointing the finger and saying, you know, don't look at me. He's saying, Lord, create within me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. That's David's prayer. And that's what the Lord looks at and said, yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, that's the heart that I love. That's what I desire for all of my people to come to me for is to take and receive this self-examination. I'm even going to give my spirit to you. 
And his role is to convict you, not because you're evil, but because of this evil that tries to still kill and destroy. My spirit will bring conviction to these things. He will lay these things on the table so you can see where they are. And I'll take them away from you. And I will replace these evil things and these insecurities and these this, this conditional love. And I will replace it and I will give you this gift of a new heart because I will give you my own heart. And I want to come live my life through you and I will empower you to love. And you cannot do that apart from my empowering spirit. Because our hearts want to point and cast blame instead of be empowered. So Lord has an amazing plan for you and I as we embrace what he has in store for us. I experienced this lesson in a very odd way. It was a Sunday morning. It was um, close to two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And I was in the, most of you know, um, uh, my family and I just moved here in March. We were previously in Jacksonville, and I was at church in Jacksonville. And um, the, uh, I was on my way to the restroom. My bladder was full. And, um, and I did not know when I was going in the bathroom that the Lord had a lesson for me in the restroom. Um, but he did, and you get to hear it this morning. I entered into this this men's restroom and, you know, because I'm a pastor, I'm in the church all the time and we're all creatures of habit. And so the, there are three urinals on the wall. Please spare my forgive my crudeness and um, three urinals on the wall. And I just am used to going to the first urinal. But there was somebody in the first urinal. And when I saw who the person was in the first urinal, I decided I would go all the way to the third urinal. And I don't know why, but. Um, as I approached the third urinal, I just like this little clear voice in my head just said, whoa, wow. Did you see that? Did, did, did you see that thing in your heart that this guy is somebody who you don't really like? This guy is somebody who's hard to love. This guy has big insecurities. This guy has issues. You don't even like to stop and have a conversation with this guy. Much less, you don't even want to go to the bathroom in the urinal next to where he's going to the bathroom. Wow. And you're calling yourself my follower. Don't you know that I gave my life for him? Don't you know the value that he has in my kingdom? And yet you, in all your holiness, this is what's going through my head. Not... And it wasn't this beating me down, as you might be hearing me as I'm retelling it. It was this, oh, Lord, search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for showing me just how dark and how black my heart can be. And I'm a pastor. Friends, those are moments of life. Those are the moments of life that the Lord loves to bring about in our experience with him. Not to beat you down, but to invite you to life. Invite you to a life of abundance where we suddenly recognize our limits and our conditions that we put on love. And Christ is leading us and wooing us and coaching us by the power of his spirit to love unconditionally. That it's not based on this, on what you approve or disapprove in this person's life, but you should accept them for whoever they are because I did. 
and because I do. And you should value people by the lens in which I value them, not by the lens that you've grown up learning to see people from. And I gave my life for them. I created them. My signature is written on the bottom right hand corner of this portrait of their life. Picasso's creations have no value compared to the value of when I put my signature on something. And I paid an enormous price for this person. How can you not value them? I walked away from that moment in the restroom, as crude as it was, it was life-changing for me, I would like to say. It at least opened my mind to the reality of just how dark compartments of my heart can be. And if you're anything like me, you probably have some of those as well, and it's okay. God still accepted you, but he loves you too much to leave those things alone. And so he puts people in your life that you may not see to be valuable. And those people become the most valuable. Because those people become the people that God uses to lead our hearts to love in a new way. To expand our capacity to love that we never had without them in our life. You may have somebody in your small group. You might have somebody, you're in a 40 days of love small group and you can't stand this person that's in your group. They are so different than you. They are so unlike you. Their interests are off the wall and they may talk a lot or whatever the case is. Everything about them just kind of wants to push your buttons and wants to lead you to this place of of being critical and then, you know, having some judgment toward them and then kind of bringing down the value and then conditionally love them. But the Lord's put them in your group because he wants to see and show you, wow, this person has tremendous value. How are you going to learn to expand your capacity to love by just having a bunch of people in your group that you like and want to be around all the time? But no, this group is about love. So I'm going to put people around you that are difficult to love so that you can experience the eternal blessings of this evermore that God has intended for you. Are you with me? So who is the person in your life that is really low on your meter, as we discussed in the beginning part of the sermon, that really does not grade well. I came up with this, this thought and even ended up kind of following up with it. Imagine this person, these people that are difficult to love, huge insecurities, whatever it is, right? And just begin imagining that they wear this little T-shirt that has valuable written across the chest. Valuable. That you're constantly reminded every time you look at them, they got their little valuable T-shirt on. Mm. Okay, I'm going to remember they're supposed to be valuable. I don't see any value right now, but I'm going to believe that they're valuable. And as we can, I taught this, I I had a group of, of guys last year in Jacksonville that was a discipleship group. And as I shared this lesson with them, the next week we went on a camping, a long camping trip, three days with um, a group of guys on the Appalachian Trail. And after the first couple hours, one of them, we kind of split up in different groups in our hiking. One of them ran up to my group and he said, that whole valuable T-shirt thing, wow, the Lord has put the man in my group that is teaching me to love, baby. And it is painful. I'm carrying his backpack and we've only gone a mile down the trail. 
He is already complaining about his sore feet. He can't make it up the hill. We're all having to rally around. We got to go 15 miles and this man is 15 minutes and he is the sore thumb in the group. Wow, Jesus has a plan to teach me how to love in a whole new way. And I love the fact that we can see it and then we can embrace it and we can accept people for who they are, even though we may not approve of how they're acting or how they're speaking or anything else. Here's another great reality of this love principle. There's, you've heard this passage that Jesus talks about, to, you know, the way you love the least of these is the way you love me. And in the context of Matthew 25 of how he's speaking to that, he's, he's talking about, you know, if you see this person hungry and you feed them and you clothe this person because they were naked or whatever, and the way in which you love the least of these is the way in which you love me. I believe that that same principle, principle can be applied to how we view and interpret other people in our life. That the way in which we love the least of these people is the way in which we love Christ. And do you know who at times in your life is the least interesting person for you to love? It's probably the person you're closest to. Good chance if you're married, it's your spouse. Not all the time, but clearly in moments. That you have these moments where you're saying, don't look at me. Look at you. Don't look at me. Look at you. Don't look at me. Look at you. And in all my experience of arguing and all my experience of being a pastor and counseling, I've never seen a couple make any progress in their relationship when they were in the Adam and Eve perspective of saying, don't look at me. Look at you. And you need to hear, pastor, what this person has done. You need to hear how they're being. You need to hear what they're doing, because then you will agree with me and I'll be justified not to love them. And you'll see they need to straighten up or this isn't going to work out. And the reality is the place that we've made progress with people in marriages, the place that I make progress in my own life, in my own marriage, is when I recognize, Ooh, Lord, help me. You have a plan to teach me how to love in this moment. And it's not based on what they're doing, but it's based on where I am. So come and deal with my heart. And let me own my issues that I can be the husband or that I can be the friend or that you can be the spouse or whatever that you need to be. So Jesus is inviting you and me oftentimes. Again, it can be the person you're closest to. It can be your spouse. And he's put that perfect person in your life to say, here you go. You want to be my follower? Love me. Here's the least of these in this moment. Show me how you love me. And love them. In this moment, when your heart is hard, when your heart is hard and you don't want to deal with this person, much less have a conversation with them. Wash your feet. Bring your heart to humility and and, and wash my feet. As I put their feet in front of you, show me that you want to love me and love them. And friends, where we've missed those opportunities, we miss the investments in the kingdom. And thank the Lord that he's led us to diving into this as a church, that we don't spend a life missing those opportunities. But that we come before the Lord and we come to him and invite him to examine our heart 
and reveal to us the things that are holding back this way of everlasting that he has before us. He's inviting us to accept people for who they are and who he created them to be and to see that his name is signatured on the bottom right hand part of who, what their life is. And regardless of what they've done, it's not about approval. It's about acceptance. And then by accepting them, love can be received. And God may very well use you as an agent for transformation in their life. But don't hold back from what the Lord wants to empower you to do. That you cannot do on your own. And that's part of his plan. Because he loves us, he wants to join us or have us join him in this plan to love people to be transformed into his image. And he transforms us in the process. Who is your person? Who are your people that God has before you to use as a vessel, as an agent, as a tool to lead you to love in a whole new way? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not call us to comfortable places. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose to guide us, to speak to us, to empower us to do what we confess, Lord. We cannot do on our own. Lord, you want to stir the motivations in our heart to be motivations to love and to not be self-seeking, to not be rude. To not be something that keeps records of wrongs. Lord, you want us to always trust. Always hope. Always persevere. Lord, we just confess before you this morning, we need a new heart. Come, Lord. Look in my heart. Examine my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. And Lord, come and lead us as a church into this way of everlasting. And have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.